we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, we'll begin with a word of prayer. So, excuse me. Again. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and, and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy on us that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things t t temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, it feels like it's been forever, but where did we leave off last time? Genesis, Genesis 1. Genesis 1 and 1, that's right, yeah. Genesis 1 1. Now, Hebrews 12, I know that much. Uh, we talked, you know, it's, it's kind of funny being, being, a, being away for uh, uh, vacation and everything. It's like, you know, you, you get uh, time to think and time to uh, see things differently and whatnot, you know. So, so it's, it's, it, was, it was kind of fun. We went to. Memorial in Houston for a uh, church on Sunday, and um, it's it was it was kind of neat because you know it's a very traditional church, but uh, at the same time it's like you see all these families. There's like lots of kids, and Houston being a diverse place, you see uh, people that were actually from um, Kenya and pe uh, people from. India and things like that, you know. Um, I think one of their pastors is Indian as well. He's Telugu. You know, it's a specific dialect or whatever that's spoken. So it's very, very interesting to see the church there in Houston reflecting the diversity of that place in that church, you know. Um, kind of refreshing, but also makes me, it, it got me to kind of just being a pastor, I forgot how what it's like being in the pew. I didn't forget, but it's like it was nice to remember what it was like being in the pews and um, actually being able to enjoy preaching, you know, from somebody else. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, I also kind of couldn't wait to get back, you know, and just be be back home in some ways too. Uh, but. Let me see here. So we're in Hebrews 12, right? I think we finished 12 pretty much. I've, I've got to check after verse 28. So. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> really? I think I think we got to I think we got to um, like 24. That's what I remember. Was, Maybe you read through 28. I think I did read through 28. So why don't we just, for the sake of everything, you know, we've taken a week off. Let's just refresh ourselves a little bit here. 
it, like the whole the whole section we were getting through was eight, verse eighteen through twenty-eight, right? Um, yeah. So I'll just read that real quick. Um, actually, you know what? Now that we're in a place where the microphone can pick up y'all's um, voices better, why doesn't somebody else read that for for a change? Because it's it's been a little while since someone else has read. So how about someone read Hebrews? Chapter 12, verses 18 through 28, to get us caught up again. Who wants to do that for us? For you have not come to what may be touched, the blazing fire and darkness and the gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg, but no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in the festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At the time his voice should be heard, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Um, it's all coming back to me now, what we talked about. So we talked about how there's that difference between the two mountains, Mount Zion and, sorry, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, where in Sinai it's terrifying and uh, tremendously uh, yeah, scary in a lot of ways because these people who are uh, these people who are not worthy to be in the presence of God are standing before his full divine presence and it's terrifying because it's kind of interesting how it wraps it up nicely in some ways, because at the very end of the chapter it says, for our God is a consuming fire. That on one hand, if you approach, if you approach God as one who doesn't believe that they need God's grace, if you approach God uh, in pride, right, or even in despair, you know, Okay, we'll take it one step at a time. If you approach God in pride, saying, I don't need 
your grace. I don't need whatever you're giving me. I'm good by myself. Then you deserve to be struck down because it's not true. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like, who was it? Uh, the poor guy, when they were moving the ark from one place to the other and it fell off the cart and he reached out and he tried to, to stop it from falling on the ground and God struck him dead like right away because he thought, even just for a split second, that he was better than the dirt that the ark would have fallen on. You know what I mean? Which was wrong. You feel bad for the guy, but I mean, he, 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 should, have, he should have known, just, hey, just, just, just leave it alone. Let it, let it, let yeah, it lie. It's going to be okay. It was instinct that right? came in. It was instinct. <laughs> he was trying to, to do the right I thing, think, right. but it wasn't the right thing because it assumed too much about himself that he was good enough to touch the holy place where God the Most High was dwelling, you know. Uh, he forgot what happened on Mount Sinai. Um, so you get you you get that perspective. So if you approach God as someone who is prideful and boastful, saying, "I don't need God. What do I need Him for? I've got everything that I need," then that's one side of it. If you approach God in despair, um, you know it's kind of like uh, if if you approach God despairing so much to where you just can't believe that He could ever save someone as horrible as you. And even though he says, I have come to save someone as horrible as you, and then you keep saying, no, it's not possible, God, I'm just too awful. Then he's like, well, oh, oh, okay then, that's unbelief. Your unbelief on either side will condemn you. Your unbelief so far as saying, um, well, I get, you know, I'm just so bad that Jesus couldn't be good enough to save me. I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but some people feel that way, right? Well, they uh, feel that way. It is true. Well, it's not true to the point where uh, they are so bad, but it's not true that Jesus is not good enough to save them, right? They think it is, but it's, but, but it's not. That's, that's, that, that's, that's why with someone who is so despairing of themselves, we need to come to them gently and, and say, no, 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 trust me. This is, this is God's will for you that you would not be so dis Like, you were right that... You know, you are fallen and you aren't deserving of God's grace, but he gives it to you anyway. So believe this. It's good for you. Like, this is God's will for you. Um, at at, at yeah. that point, should you just say, Lord, have mercy on me? Yeah, pretty much. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, that's, I mean, that's all any of us can really say. Lord, have mercy. Like, that's, that's one of the things I like about Matins is that when you say, and you're speaking, especially when you get a really good Old Testament text, it's really harsh. Uh, and, then, and then you turn to the altar and say, well, Lord, have mercy on us. And everyone says, thanks be to God. <laughs> right? and it's, 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 uh, it, that's really all we can do is to approach God uh, in humility um, and knowledge of who he is and how he humbled himself for our sakes. And come to him saying, Lord, have mercy. I am not deserving of your grace. Yet thank you for that grace that you bestow on me. You know? but we, So we see here that we don't come to Mount Sinai where there is lightning and fire and the full fear of the Lord in all of his you know, terrifying splendor, if you will, which is 
kind of sounds oxymoronic, right? Um, because we, you know, teaching kids the catechism, and you know, you start with the first commandment: you know, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And people will instinctively say, well, why do we fear God? Why, what's, what's, I mean, should, shouldn't we approach God for all of our needs? It's like, yeah, you do. That's because you fear him. It's a healthy respect and reverent fear because you know that he's the only one who can help you. Um, it's like, uh, uh, what did... There's a pastor who said, you know, it, you know, someone's, I think we try to soften some language a little too much, and it doesn't really do us any good, because it kind of pulls back on the weight of things, because it's like, if you want to soften the language of fear, because you don't want people to fear, or like be afraid of God, that they can't come talk to him, that they can't approach him to receive his grace, um, what we do is we instead, sometimes we say like, you know, uh, well, um, it's this healthy, reverent awe and respect. It's like, well, it's more than that. There's a pastor who said like, it's, it's like you go to the Grand Canyon and you look out on the Grand Canyon and you just, and it's this wondrous awe of this just beautiful sight. But then all of a sudden someone comes up behind you and just kind of goes, ah, and shakes you. And you're right on the edge, ah, and it's, it's, that, it's that kind of fear because while you're, you're absorbing this, this grand sight and you're just in this reverent awe, but then you get this healthy shock of like, ooh, I'm a sinner. I could die any moment now by falling off the edge of this and falling into this grand thing that I just thought was beautiful, you know? It's like, it's that healthy balance of fear and respect where you say, you know, um, like we were, when we were at Memorial, Pastor Murray was talking about how, uh, they were talking about the passion, and uh, it's a little roundabout, but I'll get to it. They were talking about the passion account in Mark's gospel and about how Jesus fell on his face and he prayed. And... Um, when you look at the Greek and everything like that, that to worship, the, the word that's translated as worship literally means to fall on your face. Uh, it's proskuneo. And even the Magi who came to, um, to see Jesus, they bowed down to him like that in full worship. But his point was to uh, show that for the longest time as Christians and believers, and even believe, even before that, the, you know, um, the um, in the Old Testament with the Old Covenant, to show full reverence and awe and respect due to God or to a ruler, you know, to someone who is set by God to be your king above you, that sort of thing, you would you would at least kneel, you know, to show reverence and respect. And for the longest time, you know, during certain parts of the service, uh, Christians would, you know, kneel during certain parts. They would genuflect, I guess you could say. I think he told the story about they were in Finland. They were in Finland, and it, was, it wasn't long ago. And they were at a Lutheran church in Finland, and when it came to the words of institution, 
You know, the words of Christ that are, you know, uh, that um, mysteriously bring, you know, make the body and blood of Christ present for us to eat and to drink and to receive his grace. During those words that the pastor was speaking or chanting, I can't remember which one it was, all of the, you know, there was a group of Americans that were there, and then there were the uh, college students that were there, and the college students that were, that were Finnish, that grew up there, during the words of institution, they all got in the aisles, and they laid down on their faces, and they did like a cruciform, like laying there. And, and, and all the Americans are just kind of standing there looking around going, what is going on, you know? Sounds like Muslims. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well you know, there's, there's, there's something to it. it you know, and, and, and in, certain, in certain churches, um, in fact, that a, a, a church that we would go to at Fort Wayne, during the words of institution, they would kneel. They had kneelers. So you would kneel during this time, and you'd show respect in that way for what is taking place and that is a full confession of your body and your you know your words and your whole body is being used in worship and he used that and he, and he asked you know like someone came up to him and said what why do you do that you know just curious and they said because we are showing full reverence and devotion to God for what he is doing for us and um, he was saying that like even back in the in yeah Back in the time of kings and everything like that, if you went to the king and you stood before him, and if the first thing you did was start going, hey king, how's it going? So, um, listen, I could really use a loan, and uh, you know, whenever you can get that to me, it'd be great, and whatever interest rate, you know, preferably something pretty low, I mean, you know, uh, if it's not too much trouble, thanks king, all right, sir, bye, you know, you'd... He said, like, yeah, the sergeant of arms would be there and just yeah. strike you dead, you know? And, and so, like, how do you approach a king? You approach kneeling. You know, you show reverence and respect. And, and, and you know, I think that's kind of been lost in some ways. You know, I, w I, was, I was reading the confessions. Uh, I was reading the Augsburg Confessions to Lottie uh, the, the other day, uh, and you know I was just like, hey, you know what? If I'm gonna read to her, I might as well read her something good. And uh, um, but it was on it was on monastic, the monastic uh, vows, right? And and just how things got so out of line for a long time there, saying that the special things they did merited righteousness. They merited justification and how wrong that is, right? And how churches ought to have good form and good order for things that teach the people about Christ. That's why we do what we do in church. That's why we sing what we sing. That's why we say what we say. That's why we bow when we bow. That's why we kneel sometimes when we kneel. Um, and different places have different customs. But it all should be teaching about Christ and what he does, right? Um, and we do that with our whole body. Um, and like I, th I think I said last time, that's, that's been kind of lost in American Christianity, where you show up and it's kind of like a show now. You know, you show up and, and, and there's, you know, and, and it's all dark and there's lights and there's screens and there's a band and all this stuff like that. It's like, well, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of feels... 
It doesn't feel like church because you're kind of just standing there and everything's just kind of happening to you. You don't really have any engagement with the service um, in a lot of ways at a, at a lot of different churches. But for those that are more traditional and liturgical like we are, um, you know, I'm not saying that you know, everything we do is you know, exemplary or whatever, that everybody should follow our example, but we at least try to retain some of those things that say, this is important. This is what teaches about Jesus, that we say... Um, that, you know, we come up and, and we, we bow at the altar and we kneel or we stand or whatever, we sh or we stand during the creeds, um, you know, we stand, giving, we, we stand during the doxological stanzas, right, that, that give glory to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, we, we do these little things that help us to remember who it is that's in our presence, you know. Who it is that deigns to dwell with us. Which, by the way, does anybody know what deign means? Like, what is it? D-E-I-G-N, right? You know, how, how, like, you'll see in those hymns, like, you know, he who did deign to dwell. It's old English, right? It's an old way of saying he humbled himself, right? He lowers himself to be with us. And for that, we, we do what we can to show thanks. Not meriting righteousness, but to show proper reverence, right? Because what's happening here is that we do not come to a place that is full of judgment and, um, well, we don't come to a place that only has judgment, right? That only has death and says, you're a horrible sinner. You're going to die. See you next week. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing like that. It's like, uh, you know... I like to think of myself as kind of a movie buff, but when I married my wife, she showed me just how wrong I was because I haven't seen a lot of classics. And so she showed me some classics, and one of those classics, we, we, we got one of the trial um, streaming service for Disney Plus or whatever when it first came out. It was cheap, and they had Pollyanna, right? Mm -hmm. And that preacher in Pollyanna, if you all have seen that, unless it's been a while, that preacher, we were watching, and I was like, man, he's a good preacher. If only he just add some gospel in there. Because yeah. he gets up there and he's saying, you know, um, you know, what does he say? What does he say? He says, like, you know, death comes unexpectedly, you know, and, and it's like, you are sinners and you shall die, blah, blah, blah. And he just goes on and on and on. He's just, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and I'm sitting there going, ooh, man. But then, but then all of a sudden, and, he, and, he's, and he's, what he begins with, he ends with, you know, death comes unexpectedly. Amen. And then goes off, you know. <laughs> and that's it. But that's not what we come to, right? We don't come to this place that has death and destruction. That's all there is. We come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? Uh, and, and then we talked about last time how there's all these different realities in the divine service that uh, we are brought into, right? We are brought to um, Mount Zion, the place where God the Most High is dwelling in the sanctuary, in the body, like in the word proclaimed and the body and blood given, right? Um, to innumerable 
angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We talk about how the firstborn are those who are baptized, the firstborn sons of God who are given that promise as co-heirs of Christ, co-heirs with Christ, that we are given everything that he has now, right? And, um, and to God, the judge of all, we talked about how judgment for those who are in Christ is not a bad thing. And that even in the Old Testament, you would see uh, cries in the Psalms and things like that to say, Oh God, judge me righteous according to your goodwill, those sort of things, right? That for those who, are, uh, those who believe in God and that he is their Savior, his judgment is good because we have been judged righteous, not on our own accounts, but on account of of Christ and his goodness, right? So judgment for us who are in Christ is a good thing. And then we see, um, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Um, and that, I think that that's attributing to the, the, all the hosts of heaven, right? And whenever, and you know, it was, it was nice being on the other side of things on Sunday and having um, another pastor proclaim to me, you know, um, that um, that with angels and with archangels and with all the hosts of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, holy, 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 right? Um, to hear that from somebody else and to imagine that. You know, I was trying to take my own words of advice to imagine that in that place not, was, was not just the people that I could see with my own eyes, but that all the hosts of heaven, the angels, and you know, everyone uh, who has gone before us um, and who are part of the church triumphant now were with us in that time and space, miraculously. And, mysteriously, right? Um, and it was, it was, it was beautiful. I, and I really appreciated being able to just kind of receive at that moment. Um, I'll share something with you. Yeah. Since I read that article, I guess it was from that seminary or something when you first came. Yeah, yeah, Fort Wayne, yeah. And I, it just, the light just kind of came on that the heavenly hosts are with you when you get ready to take communion and during communion. And I visualize, okay, my mom and dad standing right next to me with their hands on my shoulder, brings tears to my eyes. And then I can see all the angels and archangels. And that's the reason I cried during communion. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's beautiful. No, that's that's exactly what we should be doing. That's that's exactly what we should be seeing. You know, with with the eyes of faith, we see a lot more than the world does, right? I think it's very sad that people who don't have faith, you know, we uh, was it. If you don't believe in the one true God, it's not that you don't believe in anything. It's that you're trying to replace that with something else. And people will say, you know, oh, my grandmother is with me wherever I go. She's in my heart. And for us as Christians, we say, 
Well, that's true to a certain extent. That I love them still, and that they are, you know, if they died in Christ, which we know that, <clears throat> if we know that they've died in Christ, we say, yeah, they're watching over me right now. But where I know that they're actually going to be with me is there where Christ is. Where Christ is, where he has promised to be in his body and blood, they're there too because they are in Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and um, you know, uh, for anyone, you know, I, I, don't, I don't look forward to this, but I, I, I imagine at some point in time, if there's a member who uh, dies in Christ, and yet they have family who are not going to church, and then they're in mourning, the only comfort that I can really give to them is to say that they are with Christ. And if you want to be with them, if you want to see them again, come and receive Holy Communion. Please come, talk to me. Let's, let's see how you can come and join in with this, because that's where they're going to be. And they'll be waiting for you, you know? Um, and they'll be there every Sunday, you know? So come and see. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. So that think that's, that's, you know, I, I, I thought that might be what was going on whenever you came up. And I thought to myself, I hope she's doing what I, you know, encouraged her to do. And, and I'm glad you are, because that's exactly right. Um, and I forget sometimes, you know, it's like my grandparents who have died and um, family and friends who have died or something like that, that they're there as well, uh, those, those who have died in Christ. So it's a very comforting thing um, that while we still mourn, we still long for them to be here, we still desire to see them, that there's that hope and that expectation beyond. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and Norm's right there with you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, that's right. So um, let that bring you some comfort. I hope it does. Um, and what's so beautiful is that I visualize all of us singing praises to the Lord. Yep. Holy, holy, holy. They're right there with me singing praises to the Lord. That's right. Yeah. Together. Yep. The only time I feel, feel like my parents are with me. No. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's... That's perfectly fine. I think that's, uh, I wish more people saw it that way. Honestly, I do. Um, because there's, 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 there's comfort there. Yes, there is. Um, but we see here that, uh, yeah, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, we see that it's the height of things here, that in the divine service we have, the angels, the archangels, all the hosts, the saints who have gone before us in the church triumphant, we have them all here, but who's at the center? It's Jesus. Yeah. It's Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the, than the blood. Um, of Abel. Now, I'm not... I'll just say this. I'm not sure why it brings up the blood of Abel. I know that when Abel died, his blood cried out from the ground. 
and God heard that cry from the ground, uh, from his blood. And maybe, and, and there's, you know, we could speculate. I don't, Dr. Kleining doesn't even have a clear idea as to why it, it, it is that way. But it might be tying back to uh, the beginning of talking about all the saints who have gone before. You know that um, if you go all the way back to chapter 11, you know, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the, by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And he begins the hall of fame of faith, not with Adam, not with Eve, but with... Um, but with um, Abel, right? So maybe that's why he goes back to that to kind of put a nice bookend on it. But he's but but there's also possibly the um, the understanding that the the blood of Abel that cried out for justice, right? That cried out for revenge or vengeance in some ways. The blood of Christ calls out grace and forgiveness, right? And that uh, the blood of Christ that is sprinkled speaks a better word because it covers all of us and covers all of our sins. But couldn't you consider Abel the first martyr? Yeah. You could consider Abel the first martyr for sure. Um, yeah, because, I mean, he was, it, it was, yeah, just... Just as you could consider uh, Cain the first murderer, Abel was the first martyr for making a good confession for which someone else wanted to kill him. Right? So yeah. Um, in fact, you know, it's kind of funny, in the Greek, whenever it says to bear witness, the, the, the Greek word that's translated as that is literally martyreo, which means martyr which means to bear, um, to bear witness for the faith, that you die for the faith. So yeah, I think that Abel certainly did die for the faith. Um, and sadly at the hands of his own brother. But then he says, going on here to the end, we'll just close it on out here. Uh, take the rest of our time talking about the rest of this, because this is, I think I, I saved the file on here for this, the audio, and it's like part three of all this, so we're gonna finally get to the end of chapter 12, and then in the next week or so, we'll be done with the book of Hebrews. But this is the climax, right? This is the big, big moment where everything that's gone before culminates here. That we see that because we come to this mountain, this Mount Zion, the place where the faithful gather and are given God's grace, they are given his, um, the work that he, you know, that he died for. They're giving, they're given the fruits of that work there in this place. <clears throat> and then he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Uh, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Uh, and from here we see, so see that you do, you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So, um, let's read a note here. So, what does that mean? Who, who is he talking about refusing him who warned on earth? What is he referencing there? What do y'all think? So he's, there's a contrast being made here, right? That on one side, um, those who, those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Moses. I'm thinking Moses more, more importantly, because we're, we're still in this contrast and comparison between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, right? That God gave Moses the law for him to speak to the people on earth, right? Um, and now, uh, now we have him who warns us from heaven, right? That we go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, in fact, you know, because remember what the context of all this is, right? The context of this is that it's a sermon, right? That's the best guess anyways. It's a sermon to be read or it was transcribed or something. And the book of Hebrews begins long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And he begins that by saying that even in this time and place, we are still hearing from God through his Son, who speaks from heaven, right? Not that we have a voice like, it's not like the roof just peels back and this light shines down and we hear God's word and then after the hour is over, then the roof comes back and we all go about our ways, right? God still speaks through means of people, but it is the very word of God, not given through the uh, ambassador like Moses, but through the very God himself made flesh, Jesus Christ, right? And in some ways, you know, I'll, I won't go too far into it, but... You know, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Sorry. That happens. It's all right. It helps me gather my thoughts a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so, so you see here that, like, you know, um, it's no light thing. And I can't believe that I'm getting to this through, 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 through this part right here. But it's no light thing. <laughs> they really want to get hold of you. <laughs> That's all right. Um, it's no light thing that God was made flesh. Okay. Um, all the other gods in the Old Testament, the fake, the false gods. How did the pagans worship them? They made carved images, right? They. 
they, they did something that was abominable in God's eyes because they would take something that was created and hold it up as if it was God, you know, like the golden calf, um, and depending on, you know, was it um, Asherah and Baal and things like that. They, they were like these things that had like the heads of bulls or like it was a snake, you know. Um, and, and, and you have all these different things, but God himself came down and was made flesh by the Virgin, you know, by, like was begotten of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. And um, that's why it's important to come to church because even now God's, God's, God's ministry to us is still incarnational in a certain respect. We still have flesh and blood, you know, a flesh and blood pastor is there to preach God's word to you. A flesh and blood pastor and whoever is assisting him is, is providing you the body and blood of Christ, right? This is not something you go home and you just do by yourself, but it is God serving you through flesh and blood means through tangible means of grace, you know, that um, God is not just abstract up there. We can think good thoughts and access him through our minds and that's all we get, but he actually comes down and he uses Things that are seen in other wise ways as common. Water, bread, wine, a person, uh, speaking. He uses all these things for his means so that we would know his grace. And so and still, he speaks to us from heaven because of his word. You know, his word was made flesh. In Jesus Christ. I mean, to even stop and think about the mysterious aspect of all of this, you know, like whenever I stand up there and I say, you know, as a called and ordained servant of who? The Lord. Lord. I say the word. Oh. Think about that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. You know, because, because depending on the divine service, I'll say as a called and ordained s s servant of Christ. But in Divine Service 3, that's the common service that, you know, has been around for a long time, it's always been as a called and ordained servant of the Word. And if you look in your hymnal, it's a capital W. Right. That is the proper, that is one of the names of Christ, you know. He is the Word made flesh, through whom all things came into being, right? Uh, and, and, and He still speaks, but he doesn't speak apart from what has been revealed in Scripture, right? Um, anybody who says, you know, that the Lord, the Lord told me verbatim, you gotta go and build this thing. You ver verbatim, I gotta go and do this thing. You know, it's just like, well, uh, Hebrews begs to differ. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? That his son has spoken to us, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them all that I have commanded you to observe. And lo, I am with you always until the very end of the age. Right? That in these things, in the baptizing, in the teaching, in this way of making disciples, in the, uh, uh, in the grace that he supplies by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the body and blood of Christ, he is making disciples, he is strengthening us to go on and to do the things that he would have us do. Well, we're running out of time. Um, so, he says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So you see that in the end, and I was going to get to this at some point, but what, is, what are the qualities of fire? Heat. Yeah, so, so okay, maybe I could re rephrase this. In fact, you know what? I'm so glad I have this whiteboard back. So we have fire, <laughs> right? Um, what do you use fire for in a very general sense. I mean, or how, how does scripture talk about fire? Let's, let's, let's see it that way. So light. we see, huh? Light. Light, yeah, so as a guide, right? Um, destroy, destroy stuff you don't want. Yes, that's what I was really getting for. So like, you, go, you, you see like, John the Baptist comes and he says, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, uh, the Lord, it's like, uh, the axe is laid to the root of the tree and his Winnowing fork is in the other hand, you know, that sort of thing. So he's going to divide the chaff from the wheat. And the wheat he will gather into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Right? So we see that fire is used as a force of destruction, right? On one hand. But it's the destruction of all the things that are bad. It's, all the, it's, 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 it's the destruction of all the sin, death and decay, and all the things that came because of sin, right? So we see the destruction of uh, sin, right? We'll just leave it very generally like that. But then, what's the other side of it? If, you, you, if fire is used to destroy the bad things, Purify. yeah, it's also used for uh, purification. spell pure purification so the hotter the so it's what's the saying the hotter the fire the stronger the steel right that the more we face trial and temptation the more we face the fires as it were the more the old stuff that doesn't belong gets burned away right so in some ways you can think of trials and carrying your cross 
as God purifying you in some ways because you're starting to realize what's really important and what's the things that we can just that that, that really ought to be just left behind that we ought to really turn away from or in other words repent of and turn away and just let let it all be consumed by God's unquenchable fire right um, so we see here that let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And that's another thing I wanted to get at, was reverence and awe of what is taking place in the divine service, which, you know, um, you know, at some point in time, I don't know if you've... I'll still, I'll still encourage you, watch, watch what I do in the divine service and when I bow and things like that, uh, that's, not a, uh, that's, that's not a way of saying you must do as I do, but just to say, you know, hey, look, look at the ways that we can also enhance worship by adding in a little reverence and awe. And uh, there, are, there are things like, you know, I think, you know, when, when we pray, and I'll get, and I'm kind of drawing off a lot of what Pastor Murray at Memorial was talking about with Jesus when he went off to pray during his passion, you know, or before the passion really, well, I guess no. That was right, right there at the beginning of the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's praying and he's sorrowful even unto death, and he's praying to God and he's falling on his face, and his body is reflecting the agony that he's in. And in some ways, I think a lot of people have rationalized or over-rationalized things saying, well, God hears you regardless of if you're kneeling or sitting or laying down or whatever, right? He, he hears you regardless. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, sometimes for our own good, it helps to put our bodies in certain positions to where we have that connection saying, I'm kneeling because this is where I need to be, right? Kneeling is a submissive position. And sometimes that really helps us really focus on what really is taking place and who we're really talking to. So if you can, when you're praying, kneel. I encourage it. If you can't, and all you can do is sit, that's fine too. Bow your head. Bow your head, right. Do whatever you can to just show some reverence. I don't care if you lock your fingers together or if you hold your hands like this. You know, both are signs of reverence because you're approaching God the Most High in your time of need, and He hears you. But sometimes for our good, it would be good for us to take certain positions because we're not just minds. We're not just spirits. We're also bodies, right? Our body and our soul are connected in a way that can't be divided except by death. Um, and in that case, we ought to engage our bodies in a way that helps, uh, that really helps us focus in a way that will be good for us spiritually. So, consider that a little encouragement. Um, if you have bad, like I say, you know, if you have bad knees or you can't kneel or whatever. But sometimes you can just go like this. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Do something that will, you know, um, that will. Uh, enhance your understanding on a very physical level of who you're talking to and who is listening, right? Who you're beseeching to hear you out.
that baby's a distraction. She needs to get out of here. No, no, no. she's not. No, 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 no. She needs to hear. Ago, you said sometimes he's speaking to us through a phone call or a person. Hey, yeah, you know. So she's 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 listening. Yeah. And she's listening too, right, baby? She's listening. She's a little late. <laughs> she's starting to smile. Straighten my nose. All right. Um, all right. Well, that's that's all for today. But you know, that's that's something to consider. That God is a consuming fire. But what does that mean? It's not it's not necessarily a destructive thing, but it is painful, right? Because we love as much as we hate to admit it, and as much as we know that certain sins are bad for us, they are really hard to let go. Right? They're really hard to turn away from. They're really hard to um, abandon, even though we know that it's good to do so. Uh, yet at the same time, I, I can't remember where it is, but you know, I think it's in one of the Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. But he talks about um, this consuming fire, which kind of helps me real like solidifies a little bit more that, you know, I, I, I think Paul probably wrote Hebrews, but that's a, we won't go there. But you, you, you get into this idea that with this fire aspect, that, this, that all that is not worth or all that cannot withstand the fire will be burned away. And what is left, you know, he talks about, what does he talk about? He talks about storing up for your things. In, in some ways, it's in the same vein of, uh, storing up for yourselves treasures, um, treasures in heaven, right? That what are, what are you storing up for yourself? Is it something that can withstand the fire, right? Uh, is it something that can last until the end? If it's not, then at the end of whatever is going to be burned up on the last day, right? At the end... If all you're holding on is to that stuff that's going to be consumed by the fire, then you're holding on to ashes. There's nothing left. But when you hold on to what's true, which is Christ, that can never be taken away from you. Right? Because he is the fire, he is the one who purifies, and he is the substance of our faith. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, so hold on to Christ above all things. And all the other stuff that falls away, while it may be painful, uh, it, it's better to feel that pain now than to feel eternal pain in the end. All right, any, any, any closing questions, thoughts, comments? I have one thing that bothers me. Okay. And it's nothing related to this. It's related to standing like this at the flag or kneeling. Kneeling shows reverence. Mm -hmm. So what is the big deal with all the conflict? Oh, you're talking about like football, football and all yeah. that stuff. I don't know. I, I you know, depends well, <clears throat> depends on why you're doing. That's yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it, it 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 depends on why you're doing it. What you're what you're saying with that statement, right? I, I'm not even, I don't like to get into the whole thing of, you know, like I stand for the flag and I kneel for the cross. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that because, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long discussion to have to distinguish all these things. What the controversy is, I think, is, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. 
and I don't know if we have time for it all, but uh, if someone says I'm kneeling out of protest, then obviously it means something different. Okay, and that's what they're doing. And it's kind of the same thing, if you want to, and whenever you said that, it made me think to myself, it's like, well, uh, you know, if you look at, if you look at uh, something like baptism, if someone from uh, a Mormon church came to me and said, I want to be Lutheran, what do I have to do? And I'll say, well, you need to get baptized. And they'll say, no, 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 I was already baptized in the Mormon church. And I'll say, that doesn't matter. Because what they've, even though they've said the words, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, as they would say, right? It's the same thing as the Holy Spirit. But if they say, no, no, I've, I've been baptized in the Mormon church, and you say, right, but what they teach about Jesus is wrong. They do not believe in the same Jesus. They believe in, well, it's, it's crazy what they believe in, but it's not the Jesus that we believe in. They believe in the basic sense that Jesus is a created being, that he's not the eternally begotten Son of God. So therefore, that baptism is not a true baptism, so you need to be actually baptized. You weren't, you weren't really baptized. Now you must be baptized. And it's, it's kind of the same thing, right? So when we go through the motions or we do something for a certain reason, we also have to say why we're doing it, right? And, and what the point of that thing is. And it's the same thing with kneeling and standing. It's like, why are you kneeling? I'm kneeling out of protest as opposed to going to church and saying, why are you kneeling? I'm kneeling out of reverence for my Lord. So it just all depends on what people are saying about that sort of thing. And that's, I think that's the, that's the most basic thing I can get from it. And we can talk more about it later. Oh, it's okay. I just it answers my question. Yeah. I always felt bad about it. I said, oh, they're being reverent about it. Okay, you gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I just, I just think, yeah. It depends on what they're saying and why they're doing okay. it. Um, but we getting back to the Mormons just for a moment. Sure. You know, a lot of Mormons say that the God. We worship the same God you do. Well, you don't. It's not true. You don't worship the triune God. And that's the only true God. So what they worship is not the true God. No. But they'll tell you they do worship the same God. I, I oh, yeah. That's that. what they say it's, all the time. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've spoken to many Mormons about this. And when you place the creeds in front of them, their minds are blown. They don't understand. They have no idea what to do with the creeds. Um, and when you show them where it comes from Scripture, how these things came from Scripture, they have every reason to say otherwise, right? And it's very sad. They, they, they're so well indoctrinated. And that's another thing, that Mormons are so well indoctrinated with what they believe, they put us to shame. They put us to shame when it comes to catechizing people and catechizing their... And, and you know the, the bad thing is they're catechizing lies and untruths about God's word and things like that. So we should, we should have more emphasis on, on, on teaching and, uh, you know, because Jesus made the point that it's important. So we should at least listen to Jesus on that. Anyways, we'll stop there. Um, let's, let's, let's close as we always do with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.